Welcome to the Birth Warrior Podcast. In each episode, we feature the stories of birth warriors, women who have persevered to find their own truth in pregnancy and birth. As you hear these women share their stories of love, autonomy, connection, and power, it is our deepest wish that you will be inspired, empowered, and supported to find your own truth. We are honored these women have stepped forward to share their personal stories and to help us remember that we all have the power to choose what is right for us. The Birth Warrior Podcast is a presentation of the Indie Birth Association and is not intended to be medical advice. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Birth Warrior Podcast. It is so wonderful to be back here with you with you all today after a little bit of an absence on my part. I am your host, Jaden Graham. And on today's super special episode, we have Zuri. Zuri is a home birthing, homeschooling mama of two, holistic childbirth educator and ceremonialist. The free birth story of her second baby, Elijah Light, is one of deep primordial intuition, spirit baby communication, and unwavering trust. Zuri hopes that her story inspires women to radically trust the wisdom that lies within and to tune into the mystical intelligence our spirit babies have to offer. Zuri is also passionate about destigmatizing the use of ancestral plant and fungi medicines for women in all phases of motherhood, which she shares a bit about toward the end of this episode. Now, the breadth of this topic is vast, and while in no way will our talk touch upon every side tangent and nuance that this subject can spiral into and out from, what we do discuss are psychedelic and entheogens, namely psilocybin mushrooms, as a tool for postpartum integration, the difference between micro and macro dosing, and the traditional use of these medicines in the pharmacopoeia of the womb continuum and beyond. What this talk is not doing is offering or recommending medical advice, promoting the use of illicit substances, nor any illegal activities, and all of the comments and opinions are solely of me, Jaden Graham, and my guest, Zuri Snow, and are not those of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association, nor Marin Green, or Margot Blackstone, or any of their affiliates. Simply... This conversation, like every other episode before it, is storytelling at its most basic core. And also similar to past episodes, if you hear something that resonates with you, I implore you to explore beyond your own on your own and apply what you learn to your own subjective reality and that which doesn't resonate to leave here in this space. And while acceptance and policy in regards to psilocybin seems to be shifting in a positive forward direction in some places across the world, I still fully acknowledge the taboo nature of this topic in general and especially its intersection with motherhood, which I personally believe is a byproduct both of the erasure of indigenous traditions and wisdom, America's toxic so-called war on drugs, and the decades, if not... um if not hundreds of years long stigmatization of these ancient mycelial technologies by the global patriarchal overculture. So I am inviting all listeners and especially those who have little to zero experiences with psilocybin mushrooms or other entheogenic plants to keep an open mind an open heart And if you want to explore this topic further, I am compiling a list of resources that will be available in the show notes on this episode's webpage on the Indie Birth site. And as always, thank you so much for being here today. Special thanks to Zuri for sharing her beautiful birth stories and her wisdom. Enjoy the episode, friends. Hi, Zuri. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. What a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me, Jaden. I'm so honored and excited to be here. Yes, me, me too. Um, So wherever you would like to begin your story, please share. Okay, great. So I'm here to tell the birth story of my son, Elijah Light, who's my second child. And I feel for a little bit of context, I want to go a little bit into the birth of my first child, just so there's a little bit of a backstory So my daughter was my first pregnancy and I was really young. I was 22 
And I didn't know anything about birth before moving into that pregnancy. And it was unplanned and shocking and all of the things. And through a bunch of research, I decided I wanted to have a home birth. And so I hired a midwife and she's amazing. She's a licensed midwife. And so I ended up having at the time what I thought was an epic home birth. And I still think it was an epic home birth. It was beautiful. It was like nine hours of labor and baby was born at home, but it was also a difficult birth. I was pushing for a long time um, just because my body felt like it needed to. And um, I also was almost at the 42 week mark where in New Jersey, where I lived at the time, licensed midwives cannot legally attend past 42 weeks. And so at that point, my midwife, you know, I essentially told her that if I go past 42 weeks, I'm just going to have an unassisted birth because I really don't want to go to the hospital. And, you know, so we were trying to be creative and think of things we could do to naturally induce. And so she ended up um, with my consent, stripping my mucus plug, my mucus membrane, Mm -hmm. at which point I went into labor in that moment on the, you know, on her examination bed and had my baby like uh however many 10 hours later or something like that wow and um yeah so it was really intense and I think that my body's very sensitive and for me that was a very invasive procedure that sent my body into like get this baby out now mode and so my contractions were really irregular and sporadic and intense and it was a really hard labor. And, mm-hmm. and I think fast for my first birth, I think it could have been um, a slower and smoother labor if it had been left alone. And I think I would have gone into labor within a few days anyway at that point. So I, I felt really happy with that birth. Um, and then fast forward, I got pregnant with my son, like, I don't know, six or seven seven or eight months after my daughter was born. So it was really soon and back to back and again, quite shocking. And I only had one moon cycle. And by that point I had become really interested in advocating for home birth and natural birth and studying and researching and um, all of the things. And I had enrolled in a doula program with Wapio from the Matrona Foundation. I know that mm. um, she's friends with Marin from mm-hmm. Indie Birth. And um, yeah, so I did this, this doula training with Wapio when I was like, um, probably like four or five months, probably five months pregnant. And during which I also had a very intuitive, I feel like it's important to say that my pregnancy was with my son, I was really tapped into my intuition and with spirit baby communication. So for me, that feels like really dropping into my womb and talking to my baby and feeling intuitive responses from my baby and my intuition and the connection and the communication was just really strong with him and felt stronger than it did with my daughter. And so I was sitting in Wapio's doula training and she was talking about licensed midwifery And this was my first time really hearing that there was a type of midwife outside of licensed midwifery and how a lot of times licensing can put the state, the state's needs and the state's boundaries above the needs of women Mm -hmm. and above the physiological interest of women. And it kind of rocked my world. I had so many realizations about my first birth and not really anger or sadness because I still felt a lot of gratitude for my experience and for the midwife, but it just was like very apparent and, you know, just realized the truth about the state of birth, even in the home birth world. And in that moment, and also learning about, I will say, um, learning about how intimate and sacred birth is and how even an energetic presence in the room can affect the labor, you know, like even having someone in the room that I'm not 100% comfortable with can negatively affect the, the labor or slow it down or 
affect how I'm feeling, which makes sense, but I had never thought about it before. And so I just had this wave rush over me and I was like, oh my gosh, I think I'm supposed to birth unassisted. And so I took in that moment, I put my hands on my belly, I closed my eyes, I dropped in with my baby and I just asked, how do you want to be born? And like instantly, so clearly, I felt that he wanted to be born with only me and my partner there. Mm. So in that moment, there was a lot of fear for me because I had never really even heard about unassisted birth until that day but it was just such a strong message from my son that that's how he wanted to be born and what he was choosing and so I you know like who am I to say no to this baby Mm -hmm. who's telling me this is how he wants to be born Mm -hmm. um and so it was like a yes and I got home and I told my partner and he was so supportive from the start and we broke up with my midwife and she was so supportive too. She was really encouraged me and was very supportive and um, which was, which was refreshing to hear as well. And I just like dove into a rabbit hole of research. And I will say like my number one um, point of reference uh, with gathering, gathering information was um, taking back birth podcast that, that Mm. Marin does and like listening to all the ones directed towards midwives and all the emergency care and things like that and just educating myself and then I found this one podcast episode she has I believe it's called how I rewired my brain to have a pain-free birth and that episode was so impactful for me it was maybe like six months pregnant at this point or seven months pregnant I was getting, I was definitely in the third trimester and that single episode was like listening to that just gave me this confidence and this knowing of like, this is going to be a really easy birth, you know, quote unquote easy. I don't think any birth is really easy, but Mm -hmm. like simple, this is going to be a really simple birth. And so I tuned in with my baby again and like the spirit of this baby was just like so confident and was like, essentially I felt this sense of like okay you've done all of the what if research you've done all the emergency care research now stop all of that and just focus on what you want and focus on the birth which is going to be simple pain-free and short it's going to be a short labor so I was getting all of these messages from my baby and I'll say that like I'm not really a super psychic person from a from a day-to-day basis like you know I'm more the kind of person that feels things in my intuition but I never like hear voices or see things I'm really not super psyching it that way but this connection with this baby was so strong that it was like these big intuitive hits that I just couldn't deny and so when I felt this intuitive sensation of and just this like inner knowing that the birth was going to be easy pain-free, short labor, and it was just going to be me and my partner there. I've just believed it with my whole entire being and my whole heart. And Mm. so fast forward to the night that I went into labor, I think I was like 41 weeks and some days maybe. Um, And I went on a long walk, I walked (laughs) like maybe like two and a half miles to and from dinner with some friends. I walked to dinner and my toddler, she was 16 months old. We walked to dinner and we had a really nice meal. And then we walked home and my partner had like brought me flowers home from work that day. And it was like, you know, I was having like little waves that felt kind of Braxton Hickey like through the day and, but nothing like, I didn't really consider myself in labor or anything. Thing. Mm-hmm. And it was just a really sweet evening. And it felt like in retrospect, like the energy was totally different. Like it was like we all knew something was happening soon without really saying it or knowing it. Um it was like the veil was starting to lift at that point. Mm-hmm. And so I had my two best friends and my mom who were pretty much the only three people that knew we were planning an unassisted birth. I chose not to tell 
a lot of people because I didn't want any fear in my sphere at all. So I had my two best friends, my two closest sisters and my mom who were like my quote unquote on call doulas in case we needed extra support. But they knew that we set boundaries beforehand. So they knew that they might be called or they might not be called or I might invite them over and then kick them out and tell them to leave. And they were just totally on board with whatever I wanted. But we never even ended up calling them. The labor was so fast. So mm. that night I woke up at like maybe 1.30 in the morning with some surges and some waves. And I just tried to go back to sleep and rest through them. But there was maybe only two or three waves before it was like really on. And so I told my partner, I kind of woke him up and I was like, hey, I was really excited. I was like, hey, I'm having contractions the baby's coming tonight, but you can go back to sleep. I'm just going to do my own thing. I'll let you know when I need you. And he was too excited too. So he got up. Um, cause I was like, you know, at this point it, it had kicked in pretty quickly and I was walking around our bedroom and leaning over the bed and like starting to moan a little bit. So he got up cause he could tell like, Oh wow, this is progressing kind of quickly. And he filled up the birth pool and we put on our birth playlist that we had made. And um, yeah, I just was like walking around the house and moaning and, you know, singing my birth song. And when the pool was ready, I got in and I think I only had like maybe, maybe like three or four contractions in the water. <clears throat> and at that point I think there was like two contractions that felt intense but I just gave myself I like surrendered to each wave I visualized my body opening I softened into each wave and I you know I, I even said like instead of yelling in pain I would just say oh I'm opening I'm opening and um mm, really like allowing it. my I love that so much. I just had to say that. I love that yeah. so much. <laughs> yeah, it was really helpful for me. And just the experience of like feeling the sensations of my body opening and of my baby descending and allowing me to feel it as that instead of as pain. So feeling the sensation and rather than thinking, oh, this is painful, I would think, oh, wow, my body's opening right now. And that's what this sensation is. And that was really helpful for me too. And I feel that it really just allowed my body to open with ease. Um, yeah. And so there were two contractions when I was in the water that were pretty intense. And I think as one of them, probably like you would, what you would call the quote unquote transition was during this time. And during one of them, I think I said, oh no, or something. I was like, oh no, another one's coming. And my partner, Joey, said oh yes and then I was like, <laughs> like oh yes, and I was like, oh, yes. Really <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> yeah and, and the whole thing was really like we were we were joking and laughing and celebrating through the whole thing mm -hmm. which was really a pleasant you know mm -hmm. a really pleasant and joyful like it was a very joyful birth experience um, and so after those two contractions, I think Joey had like just put on um, a pot of water to boil to make coffee for himself. And I felt um, pressure in my butt. And I was, I thought that I had to use the bathroom. It was like, I thought, okay, it's way too soon. There's no way this is the baby. I probably just need to like clear out my bowels so I can continue laboring. And so I went to the toilet, I waddled over, the, got out of the birth pool, waddled over to the toilet and sat down and like gave a very gentle push like I was gonna take a number two. And the baby's head just is like starting to come out. Like I can feel the baby coming through the birth canal. So I stand up and I'm like, Joey, the baby's coming right in here. Like you need to come in here right mm -hmm. now, the baby's coming. Mm -hmm. I wanted him to, I wanted him to catch the baby. I totally could have caught him myself, but I wanted Joey to catch him and 
it felt just intuitive and right in that moment. So I stood there and I held on to his shoulders and I was like, the baby's head came out and he turned and he slid right out all in one contraction with barely any, like really no pushing. It was like a very gentle push that my body did on its own. And yeah, we hadn't, we didn't know what the sex was going to be. So, you know, we were just both so excited to find out that we had a son and um, Joey, especially, you know, I think it's, it's special for a father to, yeah, he was just really excited. And so then I'm standing there, placenta still inside of me. I'm holding my baby in one arm and I'm just standing there in the bathroom and, you know, I have that like rush of adrenaline and I'm just talking about the birth and describing things. And I'm like, Joey, you need to get a towel and bleeding on the floor. And I'm, I'm just like talking so much. And he shared later that it was freaking him out because he's like, oh my gosh, I need to get this woman in bed. What is she doing? And, but I just felt so energized and good. And it was just such an easy experience for me. Um, and so I'm, you know, carrying my baby in one arm and a bunch of towels in the other arm and I'm waddling to the bed and I'm laying out towels and he's just like, don't worry about the mess. What are you doing? Just like sit down. <laughs> and um, so we were laughing and joking about that. And I was um, around, let's see, that was like, 4:15 in the morning or so so it was like mm -hmm. two hours and 45 minutes of active labor and um yeah I think it was around 4:15. I'm not remembering the exact time mm -hmm. but yeah we just laid there as a family he like latched really easily and nursed almost right away before he went to sleep and the placenta was so fun to birth on my own and examine and after I birthed the placenta and after a while the cord felt so cold and it just felt like it was annoying and my son was kind of kicking it and so <laughs> we actually didn't have any like we didn't have a clamp or anything so we literally used a piece of dental floss and some sterilized and we sterilized a pair of like kitchen scissors and we cut the cord like that which I thought was pretty cool it's like you know <laughs> You really don't need much for a simple birth. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And yeah, and then my daughter woke up. We just were like in the bed, in the bed as a family of three. And my daughter woke up a couple hours later and came in and was just so excited to meet him. And she slept through the whole thing. <clears throat> and, you know, beforehand I had thought maybe she'll be there with us. Maybe she'll help catch the baby, you know, all of these things. But she slept through the whole thing, which was, I'm sure, for the best because it was less distracting for me. And she came in in the morning and was so excited to see her baby brother. And um, I think like we did a really good job of preparing her by watching birth videos with her and talking to her about it. So she is 16 months old when her brother was born. And she was like, I mean, she is so clearly sole contract to be his big sister because she was so gentle and sweet mm. and loving and patient with me too in those early postpartum days and Aww. yeah and he just like you know the postpartum with him was so much easier than it was with my daughter too he slept so much better he nursed easier he was a more like happy and comfortable baby and um, I really think that you know, the way just like trusting him to lead the way for his birth versus with my daughter, we were really trusting the midwife and trusting the state over my own intuition and my own baby. And I think that that difference played a huge part in obviously our birth experience, but also our postpartum experience. Mm -hmm. um, not that I have any regrets. I actually feel totally at peace with my first birth experience, but just kind of viewing it in that kind of um, analytical, practical mindset. It just seems quite obvious that, you know, like when we really allow space for our intuition to be the main guidance and the main teacher for the birth, then everything is just so much 
easier for everybody involved most of the time. So mm. yeah, that's the birth story of my son, Elijah Light. Mm, what a beautiful story and what a beautiful name too. I love, I when I read your submission or when I read, um, when I read your message to me, I just remember just saying his name aloud, Elijah Light, and it just sounded so beautiful and Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much um, for sharing your stories or what, and again, what a beautiful and powerful story. Um, and now <laughs> my dear, I, um, I was hoping we could segue into what personally led me to reach out to you, which is the conjunction of motherhood and psychedelics, including um, pregnancy, birth, uh, postpartum, and beyond. And I wanted to say, before we deep dive into this topic, I wanted to acknowledge the fact um, and, you know, name the shame, if you will, that I am fully aware of how, and this is to the listeners right now, I am fully aware of how taboo this subject is. Um, and my intention with this segment of this episode is that our conversation, mine and Zuri's, may contribute to a growing collective of people, mostly women, and specific to this subject, mostly mothers, that are speaking publicly about psilocybin in hopes to undo the stigmatization of our that our overculture has created around these medicines that have really been on this planet since time immemorial. Um, and also what Zuri and I will be engaging in um, to very just be blunt about it and just be very clear is simply storytelling. That's it. And none of this storytelling absolutely should not be taken as medical advice, nor are we promoting any illegal activities. We are just simply storytelling. That is it, y'all. <laughs> and finally, with that, um, I wanted to also invite listeners to keep an open mind and an open heart as Zuri and I discuss this very important topic, especially if you hold any judgment, fear, or just really have no frame of reference in your own life or on psychedelics in general. So yes, I'm just, you know, calling that in um, and just inviting y'all that are listening out there and listening to this episode. And thank you all for joining us to just do that right now. <sighs> and so with all that being said um, and the intention set, uh, Zuri, I was hoping you could share um, what inspired you to begin your advocacy work with the intersection of psilocybin and motherhood. Absolutely, thank you so much. That was so beautifully said as well with that intro. Um, okay, so my journey into advocacy work for psilocybin and motherhood really began with collecting stories from my community as well as some of my own experiences in specifically the postpartum. And it started in the postpartum because we live in a, in a culture and a society that is, you know, when you think of postpartum, you think of postpartum depression really in our society. Mm -hmm. And it's so prevalent. It's an epidemic, you could say. And it's thought of as just normal, but it's not normal. It's far from <laughs> normal. I think One. the postpartum can be a thriving time. Mm -hmm. And it really began by um, witnessing some people in my community, as well as learning about indigenous cultures and um, ancestral practices and seeing how so many women around me were using psilocybin, specifically microdosing, sometimes deeper journeys, which we can get into in a minute, what that mm -hmm. looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're treating their postpartum depression and anxiety, and we're thriving in motherhood and in parenting. And then it led me into this research of indigenous cultures, specifically throughout um, the Americas, South America, Mexico, um, Native American cultures um, here in the United States, who 
use medicines like it's not even so much that they use these medicines for motherhood and pregnancy but that it's just a part of their um, resources for healing and for navigating life through every rite of passage and through every season of life so you know like the mothers and the children are sitting in the peyote teepee they're sitting in the ayahuasca ceremonies and the children are getting it through the breast milk or you know the pregnant mothers are drinking it and of course we're talking about just to be clear very small amounts they're called Mm -hmm. abuela doses so it's not like these mothers and children are tripping like the rest of the circle is it's like they're getting a very small amount so they can be a part of that collective and community ceremony and healing and what you witness is that in these communities you know like postpartum depression almost doesn't exist and depression in general almost doesn't exist so when we say that entheogenic substances like psilocybin can treat postpartum depression it's 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 there's a lot of nuance involved and it's not so much like it's this magic cure for depression but it's rather we're looking at these cultures where entheogenic medicines are an everyday part of their lives they don't live these stressed they don't have so much stress and depression and anxiety that they're riddled with and i think there's also a lot of nuance around you know, in a lot of these cultures, they also have the village, they have the grandmothers and the aunties who are supporting postpartum as well. So I don't want to, I want to be careful not to say that, like, this is one, you know, this is just one piece of Mm -hmm. a bigger tapestry. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know I trailed off there for a bit. But what I witnessed is that women that I knew in my circle were thriving in their postpartum where, you know, women were depressed and then started a microdose protocol or did a deeper journey you know and we're treating their postpartum depression and we're thriving in motherhood Mm. and so it's so powerful and i i know that now we have a lot of research being done through john hopkins university and through maps And there's a lot of research that's proving the benefits of psilocybin use, both in heroic doses and in microdosing protocols for the treatment of depression um, and um, PTSD, which I think some postpartum depression can be PTSD as well, depending on the birth experiences, Um, anxiety, all of these different, um, you know, mental ailments. And I think... I would love to see that research extending into motherhood and Mm -hmm. postpartum. And, and, you know, it's like, for me personally, I would love to see that research because it will help it become more normalized and will help the average person see how it's not actually as dangerous as people, you know, the stigma that, that is created around it or that exists around it. However, I also think it's just so important while we are doing this research to also honor the ancestors who have been doing, you know, who have been sitting with this magnet, this medicine through pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond and motherhood since the beginning of humanity from everywhere in the world. You have entheogenic medicines on every continent in the world. So every single one of us, every single of our, every single one of our listeners, if you go back far enough in your lineage, certainly before the rise of the patriarchy, women were using these entheogenic medicines during their pregnancy and postpartum. So mm-hmm. your ancestors worked with some of these medicines. Right. I mean, and- e- even, I just wanted to interject even, um, uh, you know, midwives um I, I i read this last night i want to say it was around the the 1500s they were using ergot um which that's what lsd is derived from um but you know it's a fungus and they were using that for um to st- to stimulate uterine contractions for a stalled labor like like the like the the uses of these of this medicine like goes back so far and it is so 
amazing how it, it's seeming seem, seamlessly in so many different cultures around the globe. Um, it's it's really it's really amazing. But anyways, continue uh, with what you were saying. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. So Albert Hoffman, who is known as the man who first synthesized LSD and first had like the first ever LSD trip, he discovered ergot from those midwives. So actually LSD as we know it today is, is we have that in theogenic medicine um, because of midwifery at that time. So there's a lot of intersection between birth and psychedelics. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, the postpartum is a huge piece. And that was definitely my first introduction. And then I just went deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole. And I started learning about um, entheogenic medicines in preparation for birth, both before pregnancy, like when you're still planning on, um, you know, kind of the conscious conception journey, and even during pregnancy um, in responsible doses to help prepare for birth, especially for women who have previous birth trauma or who have never given birth before. And what we know for, I'm sure a lot of the listeners here are interested in birth or ha have um, studied birth <laughs> some and understand that birth is an altered state of consciousness. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we can look at the brain we the brainwave states of birth, we can look at the hormones that are flowing through. And by definition, birth is a psychedelic journey unto itself. And so what we see is that in these cultures where psychedelics are a normal, a, a normal part of life, and where these women have a lot of experiences in altered states of consciousness, their births tend to be a lot more simpler and easier because they know how to navigate that space of course birth is different it's its own unique altered state of consciousness but mm -hmm. you know a lot of the western world has not experienced any sort of altered state of consciousness other than like when they're dreaming or when they're young young children who are just naturally in a slower brainwave state and so what we can see is that a, a deeper experience with psilocybin can help women navigate the altered state because you learn lessons like surrendering to the experience and giving yourself to it and opening up to the lessons that you need to receive from the earth or god or the universe or whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. and even for women that i've read and heard stories of women doing a little bit of a deeper journey in the second in the later second trimester in a ceremonial setting where they are setting the intention to face any fears that they have around their birth and work through them before the actual birth happens, um, which I think is really profound and amazing. And again, just to speak to your disclaimer and the disclaimer to our listeners, is we're speaking about you know these people in these cultures and traditions who are comfortable with these medicines and have been using them for their whole lives and whose grandparents have been using them and beyond that you know for many many generations and so I think it's definitely important to recognize and to note that in the western world if you know if women don't have experience with these medicines already, I do not think that pregnancy is a good time to experiment for the first time, mm -hmm. um, nor do I think that it's necessary for most people, you know, but mm -hmm. I do think it's an interesting conversation and that the potential is so astounding and beautiful and the potential of how psilocybin could assist in the preparation for birth in the healing of birth trauma and the integration of motherhood, there's the potential is just um, so incredible. It's there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 a it's on a continuum. It's ever ever expanding. Um, and I I wanted to just kind of touch upon something that you had mentioned before before I move into my um into my next question for you, uh, you had said something about the brain state waves. And I, I also took Wapio's training, the holistic doula training as well. And it, it was life-changing truly. Um, and I, 
I remember her going into the different brainwave states that you enter into when you're in birth. And I believe that um, if, and you can totally correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that when you hit transition, that you go into um, a Delta wave brain state. And um, I'm curious, just, just if you know this, do you, do you have, or have you ever looked into by chance, what brainwave state you are in when you are, um, when you have taken psilocybin, like when you've taken a, a, a macro dose, I guess. Absolutely. So when you're on a macro larger dose of any entheogenic substance, whether it's psilocybin or ayahuasca or peyote or anything else, you are in a deep delta brainwave state. Mm. This is the this is the brainwave state we get when we're, you know, when we're in a deep, deep, deep meditation where we're having visual downloads or when we're in, when we have like prophetic dreams, like if you, if I think most women have had some dream at some point in their life where they're like predicting the future or, you know, some kind of prophetic, amazing, or, you know, or they're connecting with an ancestor who's passed on, that's also a deep Delta state. So absolutely when you are in path, like through the transition and in the peak of your labor, you are in a deep Delta state mm -hmm. right before you start pushing baby out. You're in that deep Delta state, which, you know, a lot of birth workers called labor land <laughs> and, and it's well known, you know, we just have different languages for the same thing, but it's well mm -hmm. known and understood that birth is an altered state of consciousness. Totally. And so absolutely in a deep theogenic experience, whether it's a heroic dose of mushrooms or something else, you are in a deep Delta brainwave state. Absolutely. Awesome. So there's that mirror there, which can explain how these substances can potentially be helpful in preparation for birth. Mm, beautiful. Um, and now actually to, um, touch upon um, another thing that you had you had mentioned. Um, so you were speaking of, you just spoke about heroic doses. Um, and then also earlier, you spoke about microdosing. And I personally, I wanted, I think this is a really important point because I feel like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of misunderstanding between um, a macro dose and a micro dose. And I think some people um, um, confuse uh, that micro dosing has the same potential effect as far as, um, um, you know, your, your state of mind and, um, and state of consciousness, um, when you do take a macro dose and actually you had, um, written up something really amazing on this in a post. Um, so I'm going to read this quote, um, microdosing is a safe and effective way to begin forming a relationship, uh, with psilocybin, especially, for pregnant or breastfeeding moms who don't have any prior experience um, with psychedelics. Um, and I was hoping that you could um, just maybe, I know we touched upon it a little bit, but maybe just even further break down like the true, what is the difference between a macro dose and a micro dose? Absolutely. So a micro dose is completely sub perceptual, which means if it's dosed properly, you won't experience any kind of high. It's not going to really like alter your state of consciousness. You're not going to be tripping at all. So it, with a true microdose, it will feel like almost not even noticeable, but later in the day, maybe as you're winding down to go to bed or you're preparing dinner, you'll think, oh, wow, today was a really good day. I felt you know, I felt much better today, or, oh, I, I felt more energized today. You'll just have the, you'll have a realization of, hmm, today was better. Today was a good day. Um, so it should be totally subperceptual. And what I see a lot in, um, in people who don't really understand true microdosing is they'll just like eat a little mushroom and think that a, a small mushroom is a microdose, but they're actually taking too much and mm -hmm. it turns them off from it because they think that that's what microdosing is. And they're, they, you know, they're feeling uncomfortable at work or uncomfortable with their kids when that's not at all the case. So a true microdose can be anywhere from like a 0.1 gram to a 0.5 gram, which is like half a gram. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, again, this is not advice, but I do think it's best for people who want to experiment to start on the smaller end. So start with a point one and, um, you know, see how you feel. And then if you don't feel anything, maybe on the next day, try a point two. And then if that's a little too strong, go back down to a point one, you know, so um, start really, really small and start slow. And there's also some really great um, protocols and some grassroots field studies happening. So James Fadimand, um it has a microdosing protocol that's four days on and oh wait, I'm sorry, no, his is every other day. So you take it one day, you don't take it the next day, you take it the next day and then you don't the next day. So on and off every other day. And then um, Paul Stamets, his, micro, his microdosing protocol is four days on and then three days off, four days on, three days off. And the idea with microdosing is, you know, if you want to think of it through the lens of like another type of medication, like, um, like you know, a pharmaceutical to help with depression and help regulate your serotonin. It's like, and it's not even really comparable, but I'm just trying to compare it to something to make it more grasp, you know, to make it easier to grasp. But what it does is over an extended period of time through this protocol, it's rewiring different neurotransmitters in your brain to form new thought patterns and new behavioral patterns over time. And with the, with the protocol of doing it some days and then taking a break and then doing it other days and taking a break, it's giving giving your brain a chance to integrate and like hardwire these new neural pathways. And so what I've witnessed in the postpartum time is that doing it like this, like you can almost think of it as like, you know, some people taking a placenta every day or something like that. Placenta mm-hmm. capsules is mm-hmm. it's like, um, it, it should be viewed as just another herb in the cabinet when you're eating it this way. Arguably, you could argue that absolutely pharmaceuticals could be more dangerous. You know, if the baby's getting that through the best breast milk, if we're talking about breastfeeding here or even pregnancy, like, you know, antidepressants and pharmaceuticals, I believe are more dangerous. They certainly have a longer list of potential side effects Mm -hmm. for the baby and the mother. Uh, Even over the counter, like Tylenol, I think could be more dangerous. Caffeine even, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. I think that, part of the work to, yeah, I think part of the work to destigmatize is understanding the difference between microdosing and doing a deep journey or a trip and understanding that a microdosing has its place in the common household cabinet and it's actually quite safe and accessible to just about anyone. It's not going to have the same effects that a larger dose might have for someone who, you know, for example, has underlying mental illness that could be triggered by the substance microdosing is just not going to do that mm-hmm. so yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um i i just wanted to say i actually have a have a dear friend um that's going through a um conception journey right now and um she felt really called to start microdosing and um you know it, she had explained to me it was just it was just such an intuitive calling um and and that you know it helped her with um you know just her process of like okay you know if i don't get pregnant this cycle then i am more at peace with it that was her intention going into it and you know it was a very small amount but she said to from the you know from the past um from her past moon cycle that she didn't that she didn't end up conceiving and she start and she ended up bleeding instead that she was just so much more at peace so much more um grounded in you know, you know, about the whole process and not, um, not, not, um, super depressed, which, you know, she has, um, you know, she has a history of, um, in, of depression in the past. And so it's just, it, you know, it's a really, it's just, it, it's like you said, it's a really beautiful, um, tool in your medicine cabinet. Um, and yes, and I, and, you know, hope, hope and pray for, you know, the future of, of these, you know, truly these ancient technologies, um, these teachers that have been around forever, um, that, you know, that we, 
that we all work together to, and we are doing this right now that, um, you know, that we have more of these conversations and that, you know, more people hear this and then they consider, Oh, Hey, maybe this is something that, um, that I can try instead of SSRIs, for example. Um, and that this, you know, becomes more normalized. And, you know, I know that the laws seem to be shifting, which, you know, it's, it's a double-edged sword. I think, you know, definitely more good than bad, but, um, you know, and I think, and I think it's definitely becoming a little bit more, um, seemingly more and more commonplace, I hope. But again, this is also this whole, this whole breadth of what we're talking about, um, with this specific conjunction, psychedelics and motherhood, it is something that, um, that you know needs to be discussed about more and it's it's like you've said in a post and i know you did say that there are studies at john hopkins about the um about the you know the benefits of psilocybin however um i i remember reading in your post that you said that the western um the Western world, um, and I can, you know, I can back this up too. That the Western world, um, it is lacking the research in this, um, in this field. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know. Do you have, do you? I mean, have you through the through this advocacy work? Um, I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm kind of late to the party. Are there any? Have you seen any um, research studies that have, you know, kind of shown themselves to be new? you know, new. Yeah. Yeah. So there's actually not that I'm aware of. There's not mm -hmm. any really clear and direct <clears throat> research around right. psilocybin and pregnancy and psilocybin and breastfeeding, but there are a lot of different like side studies that you can piece right. together the different information. So right. there are a lot of studies done on psilocybin and depression, psilocybin, PTSD, mm -hmm. even psilocybin for people who are um, in hospice care and preparing for death and how that's immensely helping them prepare for this rite of passage. So, um, and then, and then we do know that through science, we know that placenta, I mean, excuse me, that psilocybin does um, pass through the placenta and then it does go into the breast milk. However, we know that it's first filtered through um, the liver and then it is filtered through the placenta. And so there are some barriers and the digestive system as well um, <clears throat> filters it as well. So we know that it's a very, like a smaller, a, a lot smaller amount of psilocybin that ends up going through the breast milk. So mm -hmm. it's like, we have some information and right. women can do their own research and right. choose what's best for them based on that research. And then of course we have the indigenous ancestors mm -hmm. and our own ancestors that we can turn to for guidance. Right. And, Which I, yeah. pers I, I personally think, you know, just, just to put it out there, I personally think that, that, that has way more value to it of, you know, indigenous, of indigenous culture, historical context, and also anecdotal use from, you know, friends, loved ones, you know, you name it. Um, and actually it was funny as I started asking you, or after I got done asking you about the research bit, I, you know, I, the first immediate thought that came to my mind was that like, you know, the, the, these studies, it's, it's nice that they're out there because yes, it does does add to the destigmatization and it does help it somewhat but really you know research in and of itself is in some ways a really patriarchal and a colonial tool it's this it's this whole like controlled thing where we want to measure some something or or some bit of it and it's really hard to do that from like person to person and then also to have like this um this really strict um yeah, this really strict measurement of just what this does to, um, you know, what this does to the human body, because, you know, blanket, I, I personally think that blanket medicine is very dangerous. Um, and, you know, it could, and it can totally, and, you know, and then people don't consider the fact that, oh, this was in a, this was in a setting where normally people wouldn't otherwise consume these uh consume these medicines you know usually you're in community you're in nature or you know you know what i'm saying it's really interesting yeah totally 
Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that's really important. And for me personally, I do feel more connected to like the feminine approach of storytelling and collecting yeah. stories and listening to our ancestors wisdom. But I do also see the value in the more patriarchal research aspect in the spread of this medicine through society and the normalization. Totally. And we see that happening. We see it happening. And I think, I believe that, you know, like it's going to be the next step. I think there's going to be some research coming out or at least being started in the next few years on this because it's just the next step. They're already studying it in the rite of passage of death. So birth is next, you know, it's absolutely one of them. And mm -hmm. I think that's really exciting. I think that we're living in absolutely insane times and mm -hmm. seeing the rise of psilocybin in a more normalized way now gives me hope because I'm kind of visualizing the mycelial network, which is, you know, connected to uh, the dark feminine. It's like a medicine of the dark feminine in the soil. It's like in the compost of the earth. And I see this medicine kind of reaching out and branching out into the Western world and rising through us. And um, I think that, you know, <laughs> um, not to sound kind of easy, but I think mushrooms are going to help save the world and not only mm -hmm. psilocybin, not only psychedelic like we have you know oyster mushrooms which can clean up oil spills in the ocean we have other mushrooms that are saving bee populations it's like these these um fungal this the fungal queen queendom if you will is here to assist us and here to help us kind of turn things around and be in better um communion with the earth be in better relation with the earth and they're rising now for a reason. We need them now more than ever. And they're so willing to assist us. And absolutely the birth world is not separate from that. They're absolutely here to help mothers. You know, it's like every, every part, like our death care in this, in the Western world is atrocious right now. It's mm -hmm. an, it's an epidemic of the type of treatment that dying people are receiving and the same thing with birth it's an epidemic and we're starting to see a reemergence of you know the free birth moment movement even beyond the home birth movement or the autonomous midwifery movement and absolutely it makes sense to me that there would be a reemergence of um entheogenic substances and psilocybin to assist us with this process of like returning back to nature and returning to our freedom and our sovereignty. And they definitely have a huge role to play. And we see it in the collective. I'm seeing more and more of these conversations happening and it's really exciting. And it gives me a lot of hope for, you know, the future of what could be. Mm, well, yeah. And on, and that, amen. Um, amen to everything that you just said right there. And uh, yes, um, so much hope. And Zuri, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. First, for allowing me to hold space for you and trusting me to um, hold the space for you to share your story and for you to be here today to record your story. It is such a privilege to um to uh talk to you today and i hope and i really hope that we just continue these conversations more and more because you seem so amazing you are amazing um and it's such a such a treat to have you here um today like such truly it's such an honor um and i was hoping as is tradition for this podcast is there any last parting words of wisdom that you would like to leave our listeners with today oh i think the last parting wisdom for our listeners would just be to always 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 tune into your intuition above any outside information and if that's difficult for you start to practice and start to learn and and hear the voice of your intuition and what it feels like and sounds like for you and yeah just know that your intuition your inner guidance is the most wise tool and the most intelligent resource that you have of any of the others so 
Yeah, with that, thank you so much, Jaden, for having me. It's been such an honor. This conversation has been so fun and inspiring. And I'm so grateful for the space that you're holding and the storytelling that you're doing to, to share all of these stories and show women and families what's possible. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. That, that means a lot. And it's, it's, it's these conversations and these stories that I have with all these women. And I, I will never stop repeating this. They're so nourishing to my heart. They're, it means the world to me to be able to do this. And thank you so much for being a part of that. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be a part of it. Yay. Thank you so much for listening. Storytelling is a profound agent of change, one that has the ability to plant seeds of inspiration, introspection, and beyond. If you have an empowering birth story that you would like to share on our podcast, please head over to indiebirth.org forward slash birth warrior to send your submissions. That's indiebirth.org forward slash birth warrior. Hope you have a beautiful week wherever you are in the world. Until next time, friends.